When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we have a um, lesson from the book of Deuteronomy about the heart, and then Mary's story of recovery. Thankful for both of those things. Thankful for Mary and all that um, people that have gone through periods of recovery. If you have a short story to share uh, on the podcast, I invite you to do that. I'd love to hear from you, runnermonk at gmail.com, um, or some other way to contact me through social media. Thank you. Bye. From the book of Deuteronomy. So now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his decrees that I am commanding you today for your own well-being. Although heaven and the earth, although heaven and the heaven of heavens belong to the Lord your God, the earth was all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your ancestors alone and chose you, their descendants after them, out of all the people as it is today. Circumcise then the foreskin of your heart and do not be stubborn any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, him alone you shall worship. To him you shall hold fast, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things that your own eyes have seen. Your ancestors went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Thank you so much, Paula, for reading. This is Moses' sermon to his people, the people that he has walked with in the desert, has walked through the sands of Egypt and through the, Red, the waters of the Red Sea, and now to this place where they're about to embark on a new phase of their relationship with God and with each other and with the land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they are coming to repossess. It's often said um, by people who read the Bible or who read parts of the Bible that, uh, that people in the Old Testament really didn't have to care a whole lot in their hearts about what they were doing. As long as they did the rituals, said the prayers, said the psalms, went to the temple, they were good. And they didn't have to worry about what they believed so much in their heart or what opinions they had. As long as they did the stuff, had outward conformity to the law, they were good with God. Around the time of the Reformation, 
about 500 years ago, which most of our churches that are called Protestant come out of. We come out of this Reformation event that happened mostly in Europe uh, that then had ripple effects into the New World with the uh, expanding colonialization of the, the New World. The Reformation came to our soil here in, um, in America and around the world. And churches that are called Protestant come out of this movement. One of the things that these Protestant reformers and those that followed them often did was to kind of set up the Old Testament like it was the medieval Roman Catholic Church. In the medieval Roman Catholic Church that, hap- that is functioning right before the Reformation, it is full of corruption. It is full of abuses uh, against people. It has uh, power beyond measure. The popes and the other cardinals and bishops and archbishops are, in many cases, oppressive against people. They own vast quantities of land that you have to rent from them. The bishops of most areas of Europe have judicial authority over the people that live on the land that they, as bishop, own. So the bishop jobs were sold, called simony, because Simon in the book of Acts tries to buy the Holy Spirit. They are bought and sold to the highest bidder. Uh, Noble families always have one bishop in them that inherits this land. So these noble families control uh, so much of the medieval world. And you can see why people at the very bottom of society and at the mid-levels too would resent this kind of social and political and spiritual control over them by the Roman medieval Catholic Church. They're constantly raising money for building bigger and bigger cathedrals in Rome raising money out in Germany and England and places like that. And you can see why the people there So why are we sending all our money to build castles and uh, palaces and, and uh, churches in Rome when we should build some right here? So there's a lot of abuse that's happening in the late Middle Ages when the Reformation starts. Um, we can see this pattern actually here in Texas uh, when the Spanish uh, government that was located in Mexico City started to expand into New Mexico and and into this place that we now call Texas, Uh, there was a bishop, an abbot bishop, really an abbot, I guess, the head of a monastery, who did a lot of the work of meeting with native peoples and what we might consider really um, really good connection in many cases. His brother, though, is the is the 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 governor of of Mexico at the time. You can see these families that had kind of a dual relationship. One brother would be the governor, one brother would be the bishop, and they would sort of work together in family dynasties. And you can see that even here in Texas in the, um, in the I guess that's the 17th century, uh, somewhere around there, uh, here in this place. So this kind of corruption uh, really bothered a lot of people. And so when they read the Old Testament, and the New Testament, they kind of superimposed the late medieval Catholic Church onto the Old Testament. That here, the Roman Catholic Church has a lot of corruption, people are doing terrible things to each other, and yet there's this veneer of spirituality covering it all. As long as you go to church, as long as you um, pay your your alms and tithes, and as long as you uh, sort of have this outward conformity to the Christian faith, You can do whatever you want that's really terrible inside.
Um, and this was superimposed on the Old Testament, and it still lingers today. Whenever you hear things like Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. Whenever you hear that um, we're not here to just keep laws anymore, we're here to, to follow Jesus. Um, and there's always a little bit of truth in all those cliches and statements about Christianity. But here in this text in Deuteronomy, we see that that was never the intent, and that was never actually what people were expected to do, was to have this outward conformity, and it didn't matter what they thought in their heart, and it didn't matter about their beliefs. Here it says that Moses is preaching, and he says, the Lord set his heart in love on your ancestors alone and chose you. There's this relationship of love that God has for God's people. Circumcise then the foreskin of your heart. Here he's taking this ritual act of circumcision, which is literally outward conformity to a religious principle and practice, but saying the real circumcision is the circumcision of your heart, the setting apart of your heart for God, that God is always interested in what is happening in the human heart, because that is where God has a relationship with us, is in that place in our own being and life. And so this is at the earliest books of the Bible. This is is, is put out there by, by God, by Moses, by the whole community of, of the faithful there. That the heart of God is justice and mercy and love. It is not outward conformity to a set of lists and rules. Of course, the Ten Commandments that he's talking about here are all about love. But you're not just supposed to keep them in the bare minimal way. Jesus taught this. Um, this was not new teaching that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, thou shalt not kill. Well, I say, when you curse your brother in your heart, speak evil of him, you are murdering him in your heart. Uh, Jesus is not the first one to say that. Moses is saying it here thousands of years before. He's saying, really, the, the inward circumcision is the one that God cares about the most. Of course, you're not supposed to murder your neighbor. If you love your neighbor as yourself, as the law says, you shouldn't murder your neighbor, shouldn't lie about your neighbor, shouldn't steal from your neighbor. All those later commandments are about how to love your neighbor, how to love God, how to love your neighbor. Um, the commandments are all about love. If you love your neighbor, you won't do these things to your neighbor. And so, but it's always about the heart. It's not just about the bare minimum of not murdering anybody. It's always about where, where our affections are, how, how we are dealing with the hatreds and, and anguishes and anxiety of our life and giving that to God. God loves the strangers, it says here. God loves strangers. This gift of hospitality is what the people of God should always be doing because God was hospitable to them in Egypt. We talk about reframing a lot in modern psychological, pop psychology culture, taking an event that was painful and debilitating and, and was a huge setback and reframing it. This is not like Pollyanna-ish, pie in the sky, kind of just think everything's going to be great or something like that. But to really uh, tell our story in a way that is true, but also um, is true in a, in a hopeful way. Um, Bessel van der Kolk, his book, The Body Keeps the Score, we were talking about that last night um, in a discussion group, uh, 
his, his book talks about how people get stuck in their stories, um, that they'll tell the exact same story for decades after decades after decades, um, as if it hasn't changed at all. Of course, the historical events haven't changed at all. But the way that story has affected us, the way those events affect us, does change over time. And healing is really telling a new story about the same old thing that happened to us. Uh, Reframing. And here we see an example of that. Here, Moses said, instead of saying, you know, we got caught up in that business in Egypt where we got enslaved and really, you know, ruined our whole lives, he says it's a kind of a, a good thing. Now, he doesn't say the slavery is a good thing, but he says that you went down to Egypt with 70 people and you came out more numerous than the stars of the sky. That's kind of a reframing of the whole enslavement in Egypt, Exodus event, and their wanderings in the wilderness. They have been forged into a nation of people that are now a larger community that can support more people and tell the story of God to a larger audience in the world. That was always the point of God's relationship with God's people. So this reframing of the Exodus story is something that the nation is is learning to do together. Um, Part of my job as your priest is to help you reframe the story of our community life in this church, to reframe the story of of your own life in light of what God has done for us and, and through salvation, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. To take our story with all of its grit and all of the hardships of that story and to say, where is God, where was God at work? Where is God at work now? And where will God be in the future for us? To see it in a different light. We went down with 70 people to Egypt and we came out numerous as the stars. Um, our church has had some big setbacks in the, in the pandemic years. We've, uh, we've, that was really hard for us. And you, endure, you endured it. You got through it. You survived it. Um, and I think it forged in us some really good things. Um, it's still, we, the effects of it still linger in our, lo- in our community life. But I think one thing we learned is that we really need a building. Um, that that, would, that was something we didn't have during the pandemic, and we could have used it. I think we were pretty glib before the pandemic saying things like, yeah, the church really doesn't need a building. Um, the, the, that was always in the back of our minds. We tried to frame that positively, um, that we really didn't need that. Um, but ultimately, I think we realized that this is a really critical thing that our church needs for community life together. And um, I've been convinced of that over these last years and months of, of uh, working through all the ways that we've had to work through and, and um, with renting a building and all the things that go along with that. So um, I'm reframing that, um, that we went into the pandemic on a porch outdoors in the cold and rain, and we are coming out into a building. Um, that's a really good thing. That's a way we can see that story in what God has done in our community. Um, and we have to do that in the eyes of faith. So I invite you into that today to reframe your story in what God is now doing for you and for the community. Because it's not just about us. It's about all of us. Amen. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. 
For he that is mighty hath magnified me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him throughout all generations. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seat and hath exalted the humble and meek. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent empty away. He, remembering his mercy, hath holpen his servant Israel, as he promised to our forefathers, Abraham and his seed forever. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace, through the same thy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Morning at different times. Um, and sometimes it changes. It's where I don't want to um, partake in life at the moment. I just, you know, want to curl up with a good book and not move. Um, it also, you know, leads to a lot of crying and shutting down. Um, and then about 30 years ago, uh, PTSD was added to that. And that kind of created a lot of havoc in my life for a very long time. It made me very sad, um, it, but at the same time, I would get highly upset or um, feel like I didn't belong anywhere to anybody. Um, I felt so overwhelmed. I've taken medication for the depression and um, I've had to take something for um, the nightmares as well from the PTSD. It gets so bad. Um, and I have been in therapy for it for a very long time. Um, and that I recommend to everybody. Um, not only was I in regular therapy, but I went to art therapy. And I think that helped bring me out of my shell. And we worked in different medias from painting to drawing and um, a lot of um, collages as well. And it started me talking about things that I found too hard to talk about at any other time. We also did a, a book, it's called Dances with Anger. And we used the book as a guide. I took notes on it and um, really studied it to help get rid of my anger about what brought PTSD on. Um, I I felt so much better after I finished that book and I finished my therapy um, with the art therapist. And now um, I'm in Texas and um, 
I just love life. I love my church community. And I did have one bout with the depression and PTSD here in Texas. And Father David was so kind as to come over and sit down with me and we had a good talk. And I felt so much better afterwards, I cannot say. Um, and now I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I am just so happy to be here and so grateful for the church and my family. Um, everything has really turned out great for me. And I, I just can't say enough good things about everything. Now, everything is so good. So at that, I'll let you go. Thank you so much, Mary, for sharing your story. And let's pray. Oh, blessed Lord, you ministered to all who came to you. Look with compassion upon all who through addiction and other life setbacks and struggles have lost their health and freedom. Restore to them the assurance of your unfailing mercy. Remove them, remove from them the fears that beset them. Strengthen them in the work of their recovery. And to those who care for them, give patient understanding and persevering love. Amen. All right, I've stopped the live stream. I want to thank you, Mary, for sharing your story with us. And uh, thank you for being part of this community and for, for being part of this uh, 40 days of recovery.